Control. Self-sacrifice. Duty. Madness. All are stretched and distorted into unrecognizable infinity as they approach the singularity at the center of the black hole. We remain here as witnesses, studying the results and transmitting our findings to anyone who will listen. Coming to you live from the edge of the event horizon, this is The Quantum Reactor, a sci-fi movie review podcast starring two brave souls with stars in our eyes and quasars in our hearts. My name is Jeremy Cobb. And I'm Andrew Coons. And if you wake up one morning and it's a particularly beautiful day, you'll know we made it. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of the Quantum Reactor. This is a sci-fi movie review podcast. We just talk in different sci-fi movies that we love. Uh, thanks so much for joining me for this, Andrew. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be a blast, and I'm excited for episode one because it is the movie uh, that was kind of the genesis of this idea um, because I came mm -hmm. in with a strong opinion, and we mm. realized that we needed to we needed to have a good conversation about this one. Yes, uh, a good and thorough conversation about this one. It's this is pretty honestly for for the for the people who are involved in it. Like there are so many well-known people who are involved in this on multiple levels. Yes, it's bizarre how little known this movie is. I know. And also not only that, but how influential the movie is, which we can get into later. But first things off. Uh, first things first. Uh, we're talking about Sunshine. We're talking about Sunshine, the 2007 sci-fi film by Danny Boyle, uh, written by Alex Garland. Uh, starring a lot of great people that have gone on to become even more famous than they were at the time of this movie. Yeah. So we've got Killian Murphy, we've got Rose Byrne, we've got Cliff Curtis, um, Hiroyuki Sonata, Chris Evans, Michelle Yeoh, mm -hmm. Benedict Wong. Yeah. I, it's, it's basically a precursor to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a lot of ways. Yeah, and also Scarecrow is here. That's right. Yes, the D DC and Marvel come together in this incredible sci-fi film. Oh, and Rose Byrne was in the X-Men movies as well. She was. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, this is, it's why, I, wait, wasn't Michelle Yeoh also in Marvel? Am I correct in thinking that she? Uh, I don't know that she has been Oh, uh, I thought maybe she was in, like, The Eternals or something. Um, no. But, yeah, it's wild. Gotta get her in, though. Yeah, I mean, it's wild how many of these people have gone on to such sterling careers. Honestly, not that surprising, because the, the performances in this movie are excellent yes. across the board. Uh, should we give, like, initial thoughts on this movie, just to kick us uh, kick us off? Do you want to jump in first, since this is, uh, this is, you have such strong opinions on this movie? <laughs> yeah, so the genesis of this podcast and, and this conversation was because I came in hot with the opinion that Sunshine is the best sci-fi film of the 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of heavy, heavy contenders. Um, but for me, this movie is one of my all-time favorites. Okay. And one of the things I love about it so much, and you you alluded to the to the soundtrack before, and this is part of it. But like when you think about movies that have a vibe, and that really just hit a tone mm -hmm. really well, this movie hits it. It's it's a little bit of everything. It's it's end of the world, but it's also really intimate, and mm -hmm. it's uh you know almost it's got that kind of like locked room type feel to it, uh, and, and there's a mystery yeah. involved as well. And I think that might be, for me, one of the things that makes it such a standout, is that in addition to the, the mission and the interpersonal stuff, there's a true almost murder mystery at the heart of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's it, it just adds a dynamic to everything that that makes it so grounded and so interesting for me. So um, I'll give my official rating later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, Sunshine is is one of the most influential films that I've seen, and definitely one of those ones that I'll watch every time I get the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, some strong statements for sure, and uh, to an extent, I agree. I don't know that I would call it the best sci-fi film of that decade, <laughs> but I do think that it is uh, an under an underrated gem. Uh, I, re- I still remember seeing it for the first time. I think I've only seen this movie twice, actually, uh, and both times I was like, this is really good. Yep. Uh, I've always been a fan of Danny Boyle's style, and he makes a film... Despite the fact that this movie is like heavily influenced by like 2001 and Alien, yes. I mean, you were talking about the tone. The beginning of this movie, aside from the, uh, I think the excellently uh, delivered info dump at the beginning, that's like, here's the setup. All right, here we go. The the sun's about to burn out. We're gonna go try and save it. Yep. We're gonna shoot a bomb into it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, great. Uh, we got that out of the way. Awesome. Sounds cool. I'm in. Uh, then it starts to feel like Alien, the first Alien, it does. where you have a bunch of like, you have a bunch of people like feeling like just ordinary people on a ship trying to figure out how they're going to succeed at their mission. There's, It doesn't feel super overblown. It's just they're all having their own issues and, and, and experiences yes. on this ship. Uh, and then it just develops from there and as you said we you end up with murder mystery elements there's like eldritch horror elements mm-hmm. there it there, it almost starts to feel supernatural at certain points yes. there's slasher elements uh there's i would say just some straightforward horror elements yep. uh some action elements surprisingly enough uh it's all it's questionable i think depending on who you talk to how well it all manages to hang together but for me, I think it overall is more successful than it is not. I do really like this movie, and I hope more people go and watch it after this. Yes. Because I, I think it's excellent in a lot of ways. And you talk about how all those elements hold together, and, and this is by no means a perfect film. It being my favorite film of the uh, sci-fi film of the 2000s doesn't mean that it's perfect. Um, and like a lot of movies with really big concepts and big ideas, um, you can make the argument that it falls apart a little bit in the third act. Um, and mm-hmm. as things kind of ramp up and some of the mystery is uncovered, um, there are some leaps that have to be made <laughs> yeah. uh, in a otherwise pretty grounded movie. Um, yes. and, and I do think if we're going to talk about flaws, with this movie and with, with writing in general in a lot of sci-fi films, um, that leap that you that the the writers and the director ask audiences to make when you're making a really grounded film and then there's a fantastic or a supernatural element, that leap is really hard to make. And I honestly have seen very few movies that have done it really well. Um, and so I think there's an element of suspension of disbelief that you as the audience have to bring to it that, look, this is their story. I'm going to go along with the ride till it's till the credits roll. Uh, and, and then we'll judge then. But but that can be tough. And, you know, we're going to have to talk about spoilers. So, you know, the big thing with... Uh-oh, I hear something going off. Is that... Oh, it's the spoilerometer. Oh yeah, wait. We should we should give a spoiler warning. I just realized yes. uh, we're gonna yes. uh, we're about to jump into spoilers. Yes. It is it, there is a lot to get into with this movie. Suffice it to say, as of right now, I think both of us is our strong recommend. So if you have not watched this movie, absolutely go check it out and then come back and finish the rest of the podcast because we're gonna start getting into some deep spoilers now. We are so. The, the, the big leap in my mind is this idea that Pinbacker, the captain of the original ship that had gone out, uh, was able to survive. 
and is yeah. now burned all over his body from from looking at the sun and being too close to the sun, and, and he's around. And I think that there's just a very valid case for you to roll your eyes in that moment. Um, yeah. And then once, but if, but once that eye roll is over, if you're able to buy into the rest of the story, like it does start to get into those slasher elements that you talk about and those horror elements, mm-hmm. and it, it's still a fun fun ride all the way through to the end. Yes, there are. It's it really all uh, the the linchpin of whether or not this movie is going to work for you. Most likely is Pinbacker. Uh, yeah, it's and I completely agree. The movie feels so gr- grounded, even though it's clearly fantastical and it's you know whoa we made a bomb that was so large that we can shoot it into the sun <laughs> and reignite it. Uh, like that's already pretty fantastical. But as soon as they introduce that, it's like okay, everything feels grounded. It's like oh, they have oxygen production on the ship. They have all these different elements. They have a therapist on board to try and help everybody as they're traveling. They have reserve, like, they have a whole, it's all planned out. Uh, They've also used, like, all of Earth's resources for this bomb, (laughs) just hoping that it works. But as soon as we get to the idea that this one dude whose body is so decayed that it's literally possible to tear the flesh from his arm, uh, like, and, and not even, like, you just, a normal person who's dying of, like, injuries and oxygen loss is able to grab this man's arm and rip the flesh from it. Uh, <laughs> that does not... It's pretty great. It's, I mean, it's if a you great make moment. that jump, it's a pretty great moment. <laughs> It's a great moment. I think it's just, I think there's a way to make this work that they didn't. Yeah. He should not have been as imposing as he was. He should have been weird and off-putting and creepy and, like, in his movements and, like, seemed like a dude yes. who was on the verge of death but was being kept alive through almost, like, the his belief in the god of the sun. Yes. So the two things that they did well in trying to make Pinbacker work, in my opinion, one is um, Cliff Curtis's character, uh, Searle, who has starts to develop throughout the movie this obsession with looking at the sun for as long as he can and being yeah. and exposing himself to more and more of the sun and there's these amazing scenes where he keeps asking the computer to to let in more sunlight let in more sunlight and you as the audience are like white knuckling going stop stop you're going to burn yourself <laughs> like, alive what are you, right it's this it, dude it is i think the second scene of the movie yeah. after the info dump i think the first thing that we see is Cyril <laughs> sitting there and it's already like this guy doesn't seem fully yep. okay. Which, what a great way to set tone, right, from the beginning, that, like, there's there's psychological elements to this mission that we're going to dive deep into. But mm-hmm. as the movie goes on, he starts to get some of that decay, right? He starts to have really bad yeah. sunburn, and it's, fl- you know, his skin's flaking off. So they do nod to what the eventual thing they're trying to get to, you know, with Pinbacker is early on, and that helps. Absolutely. The other thing that I think they did just from a filmmaking standpoint is, you know, that you never get a great look at Pinbacker. Um, it's all mm-hmm. these very kind of, you know, blurry shots and kind of weird glitchy things and stuff. And it's very stylized and it's very Danny Boyle. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps because I do think that if you had just had him walk out into full view in full prosthetics, it would have been pretty cheesy. Um, so yeah. those things help. But I'm curious to hear from you. What you know, with the idea of Pinbacker as this character that needs to be a part of the story, mm-hmm. what would you have done differently? You mentioned making him a little less decayed. Are there other things that you would do to to make that twist work? Uh, yes, I would say you could actually keep him at a similar level of decay, but make him look more decrepit and weird and alien. Mm. So, like by the time less strong, yeah, 
by the time that he is like this, he his movements are weird and jerky and twitchy, and he's like he's not able to walk very well. Like that's what I'm imagining, and, and like maybe he's even blind by this point, uh, and has developed some other means of navigating through the ship. Um, there's I think there's yep. other ways for him to have still been a threat. Perhaps the fact that he doesn't seem like a threat makes him more of a threat that you're just like, oh yeah. my gosh, what is wrong with this guy? He's like, he's just like a lump of cancerous tissue. And as you get closer to him, he suddenly like snaps on you uh, and comes at you. I think yeah. the filmmaking techniques, I completely agree with you that uh, the the foreshadowing with Searle having like, seeming to be, uh, be undergoing a similar process early from the get go. And then the sort of, the, the way the movie's reality starts to break a little bit as soon as they enter the Icarus one. Which, by the way, what are yeah. they doing? Who thought to name these ships the Icarus? <laughs> there, surely there's other. Call them like the Prometheus or something. Like that. Surely that makes more sense. Prometheus gave fire to humans. Like call yep. them the Prometheus. Uh, but it, it makes sense until you remember the full Icarus story. Yeah. Uh, yes, he flew to. He, yes, he flew close to the sun, but then his wax wings melted. Exactly. And, uh, it's you know it's 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 a little on the nose, but again, good foreshadowing mm -hmm. uh, of the fact that this mission isn't gonna go <laughs> according to plan. Yeah, and actually, uh, some of the names even seem like they yes. could be a little bit like references to things like uh, Michelle Yeoh's character uh, Corazon. I I I'm wondering if that's taken from like the Spanish word for heart. Uh, be and she really is the heart of the crew. Yeah. And what she does is the heart of, you know, you know, cultivating the, the plants that they need for oxygen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I looked up the meaning of Searle. Let me see. Do I still have that up? I looked up a, a mm. few. Yeah. So Searle means armor. And Searle uh. Uh, is the ship. And that's the only name we get for him. But he is the ship's yep. psychological officer. It's the doctor. He's the therapist. He's theoretically the, the guy trying to keep them all sane. Uh, and you could argue that he's the armor that that is standing between them and the fate that befell Pinbacker and his crew. Uh, there, I think yep. some of the other names as well. Um, Kappa, I think. Let me see if I still have. Yeah, Kappa um, stands for corrective and preventative action. I'm wondering if it has another <laughs> meaning though. Um, but anyway, and that's and that's our main character, Robert Kappa, played by Killian Murphy. Yes. Um, also, the only one credited with a full name. Yes. Versus, you know, just. Oh a well, no, James name. Mace uh, for Chris Evans's character, James Mace. Oh, okay, we do get his first. Yeah, name. gotcha. Um, yeah. He, uh, but I guess going back to the subject of Pinbacker, how I would have suggested, I think the fact that as soon as they start to go onto the uh, the Icarus Number One, and you start to see flashes of like the crew's group shot. And you see, like, the faces yep. of the crew. just like it feel, It's almost like a Fight Club type thing. There's a definite David Fincher yep. influence on that sort of, on that sequence. And then even before we see uh, Pinbacker in his new form, there are, like, shots of him silhouetted against the sun when we start to discover, yep. oh, there's somebody else on the ship. And I think that stuff yep. serves to make the whole thing feel more unnerving, more unreal, uh, more supernatural or mysterious. And I think that serves yep. it. But I would, I would have suggested, number one, pumping up the sun as, like, deity references from the beginning. Mm. Because if we were going to – like, we could point to – 
uh, examples where many, many civilizations have worshipped the sun in some form or another. And often have some central belief in their religion that has something to do with the sun. I think the the way that the sun, like the, the sun literally gives humanity life. And I think the idea that getting closer and closer to it could have some deeper, like, primordial effect on you, and setting up the sun a little bit more explicitly as, like, a mysterious, almost religious entity from the beginning uh, might have served to make the transition a little bit smoother to now seeing that this guy has gone completely off his rocker and now believes that the sun must go out because God wills it, et cetera, et cetera. Not that it's like, I, I bought it. Like I, I could, just, like, we already see it happening. I just think tonally, sure. it would have made the transition a little bit smoother. It's it's a five percent increase in the references yeah. and and the everything. It's not a complete overhaul of the script. It's it's taking you know everything that Searle is going through, and maybe having an extra scene or two that helps you know talk about the deconstruction of his beliefs because he yes. you know again being the counselor man of science as most of the people on this on this ship are you know how does how does that science inter- intersect with faith uh or or with mystery or yes. whatnot um could have been could have been interesting to pump that up just a little bit more and maybe even shifting one character or two just a little bit closer to like a little unhinged a uh, one yep. scene that just occurred to me is when uh Canada, captain uh Canada, dies who is yeah. played by uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, who I think I know from Lost primarily. I'm pretty sure he's in Lost. Uh, is he in Lost? Or am I thinking of a different guy? I think he's in Lost Season 6. Uh, I think he might be. I, I know him from uh, Twilight Samurai stuff, oh. like some Japanese films that he's made that are really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um, oh, I just saw him recently in Bullet Train. I just recently saw Bullet Train. Yeah, he's in that too. That's right. Yep, Bullet Train. Uh, that, oh, I got opinions on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a very quick side reference to Bullet Train. I, I, while watching it, I thought this feels like if Guy Ritchie tried to direct Kill Bill. Yes. Uh, yeah, That to me, that was a movie that had a lot of really fun ideas and went nowhere with them. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is. He's Dogen in season six of Lost. Yep. Uh, I was correct. I'm so happy. Yes. <laughs> That's um, a good but yes, when he dies, when he's burned to death by the sun, yeah. imagine for a moment that instead of just like, he does seem transfixed, so we're on our way there. But imagine that instead of like screaming as he burns to death, yeah. you have him like, laughing or giving out some sort of more joyous or even like silently just yeah. a look of awe cuz he, he are we're already right there but i wonder if instead of burning cuz at the end when killian murphy is burned to death by the sun yep. he's not screaming right. uh he's experiencing like a euphoric ex, uh, ecstatics experience where he's yep. like oh seeing like the fabric reality stretched before him yep. and i'm wondering if if that should have been kind of for everyone and like maybe as they were exploring the the um if they were as they were exploring the Icarus one we could have even seen like either a small shrine or some kind of like offering or something some indication that the whole crew had been affected by this and then if you just I think if you just shift the whole thing that much more you do change the tone a little bit uh, to make it, I think, a little bit more unhinged from the beginning, mm-hmm. but I think that makes the transition better, uh, or at least smoother. Yeah, I I do think that, you, you know, you have to think about which moments you want to hit the hardest, and with Kappa kind of silently going, 
I think if you had previewed that too much, his, the the impact of that moment would have been lessened, yeah. right? Um, there, there. I, I do think that there's something about showing different people meeting their fate in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, do you not go quietly into the night? Do you do you accept it um, and and let it wash over you? You know, that that's interesting, and and that may have been their intention to show that. I don't think it's super well developed, but. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I think it's a good point that, like, you know, when you have a movie like this that obviously is trying to say something more than just, hey, here's a cool sci-fi film, mm-hmm. like, whatever the writer and director's themes that they decide on early on, um, you know, they, that informs a lot of different things. It sounds like a no-brainer, but, I mean, it, it really is the lens that they're going to look through everything in the story with and make all those decisions with. And so while at the end maybe certain things didn't work as well, you, I, I do think it's worth going back and saying, but did they in some way or shape you know, kind of advance that vision? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the fun of, of trying to deconstruct okay, what exactly is trying to be said here? Mm. Uh, and then kind of retroactively playing out the rest of the scenes and going, oh, okay, I see how that fits. Yeah. Well, what would you say are for you the big themes of this movie? Um... It's a good question because I do think that it's it's one of the and again I don't know whether this is a pro or a con for the movie but it's one of those movies that for me le- almost leaves me a feeling of having something on the tip of my tongue mm-hmm. where I'm like I- I'm almost there and I'm not quite sure how to express it um, at least that's the first way well, I, I felt the first couple of times mm-hmm. I watched it I think for me it's really it it is somewhat about how do people meet their fates. Um, in, in the face of inevitability, in the face of, of overwhelming odds, you know, the, the, that very real human thing of as individuals, we all have to meet death and, and the end alone. Mm. And I think Mace, I think Chris Evans' character, Mace, is a, is a really good example of that, oh. of this kind of loudmouth guy that you're, you don't really like him a whole lot throughout the movie, and you're not really rooting for him a ton until the end, and then he sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. And he he's <laughs> incredibly courageous and yeah. incredibly selfless and saves And also, he's also right. And he's right, exactly. <laughs> he's right about yes. basically he everything. He is right he about everything. <laughs> In fact, I'm I'm in a, uh, the opposite camp. I think he was my favorite character when I first watched Interesting. the movie. Interesting. Yeah. I was like, I uh, sure. Yeah, the first time we really see him uh, do much, he's like fighting uh, Killian Murphy's character because he took too long yeah. leaving his voice message for his family, and now he's mad that he's yeah. not going to get to leave his. Uh, which, but he's right there as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> like dude, that was a dick move. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like they could, uh, they do all die on this, and his family never hears a last message from yeah. him. Uh, so, yeah, again, absolutely valid. And then you have like, the when he's like, we're not seriously considering going after the Icarus too, right? Like, that's clearly a bad idea. Yeah. Like, the mission clearly matters more than any human. Why are we even yep. having this discussion? Uh, but I, I completely agree. Sorry, I cut you off a little bit. Do you have any more thoughts on the themes, or should I jump in with my thoughts on the themes? No, no, no. I think I think that that's the main one for me. I mean, there's always smaller stuff, but but for me, that's what I took away from it, is, is watching these people struggle and hope and try and inevitably fail at least well they don't fail but they but they but they don't make it Mm -hmm. um and how do they meet that um it's a little bit like rogue one in some respects or rogue one's a little bit like this i guess yeah in that same thing of like there's an inevitable end to this and can we can we at least get the bomb off you know sort of thing um 
before before mm. we have to call it. That's a really interesting comparison, dude. Because like, I I didn't really like Rogue One. Like I fell asleep during Rogue One, <laughs> but I think that there are some very clear parallels. Yeah. In terms of like, you have a multiracial, uh, multicultural ensemble cast all knowing that the odds of survival are not great, yeah. but being willing to sacrifice all for the mission and sacrifice all for a cause that is bigger than themselves. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think the way that I would kind of describe the theme is uh, sacrifice and duty. Uh, in the mm. in the face of, like, it's almost like a, there's also a dichotomy of, like, emotion versus duty. Uh, and how you see, because there's multiple moments where you see people having to make choices between what they should yeah. do and what they want. And, like, right, right from the get-go, you have uh, Searle. What he should do is stop staring at the sun uh, and, <laughs> and go, yeah. you know, serve as a, make sure that everyone is doing okay. And what he yep. wants is to feel as much of the sun's power. That whole monologue yeah. he has about how darkness is, like, a void, and when you are bathed in the light of the sun, you are bathed in, like, in something, in in energy. You are bathed in the stuff, yeah. the stuff that fills the void. Is such a fascinating idea that I I wish we'd gotten almost more of an ex, uh, an exploration of that and how that because uh, I I think those tidbits really make sense for how someone loses their mind to this. Yeah. But like the way that, yeah, he's he gets carried away by his feelings. Uh, it mm -hmm. appears that Pinbacker and perhaps the entire crew of the Icarus One got carried away with their feelings. Uh, yeah. You see um, um, Corazon trying to save the plant garden uh, even though, like, and she's weeping and crying, which, I mean, yes, understandable reaction, but I think there's an element to where she is she is desperate specifically for this garden to be okay. Yes. Not because she wants them all to live, but because she is so invested in this garden. It's the one thing that she can control. Yes. Uh, and, and everybody has their area of control. And that brings me to one of my favorite scenes. It's a small scene, but one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when Trey, uh, Benedict Wong's character, messes up the calculations. Yo. And he forgets to move the shields. Yep. And his performance of standing there shaking, crying, and just saying, I fucked up. Like, I, I don't know. There's something so raw about that moment and about the way that he performs that. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, it's warts and all, right? It's not cinematic. It's it's very, like, that was, like, such a human moment. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, everybody has their thing that they're in charge of. That's their their area of control. Mm -hmm. And when they can't control it, it, it it's a it's an attack on their very being and who they who they are. Yeah. In fact, the only two who really aren't like that are Kappa and Mace. Uh, Killian yep. Murphy's character and Chris Evans's character. I think those are the two. Maybe the captain, the original captain, Kaneda, who sacrifices himself because he realizes that Kappa is more key to the mission than he is. Right. Uh, that's that's what I got from it, and I think that those characters are the only ones who are like consistently like, yes, we gotta we gotta finish this mission. We gotta do what is best for the planet. Uh, yep. And yeah, I completely agree. The idea of trying to have something you can actually control uh, is is a big theme of this movie as well. And another um, another element, another moment that for me really like affects me is you already mentioned it when mace dies first of all the whole sequence 
of him doing that. They do a great bit of foreshadowing at the very beginning when we see him yep. drop his tool into the coolant. He grabs it. it and, sticks his hand in real quick. And yeah. in that one moment, his hand sounds like it's freezing and he's in so much pain. And you know, you know in that moment, like, and I don't mind it, it's <laughs> not too heavy handed, but you know, oh shit, that's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Chekhov's coolant. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, uh, and then that sequence when he realizes, like, not only that, but he gets he gets frozen twice. Because when they're jumping yeah. around, or three times, because you're frozen that time, he gets frozen when they jump through space, and his hand is yep. already frostbitten just from having been in space for a few seconds. Uh, and then, of course, when he dunk, dunks himself in the tank, his performance yep. in that, when he is, like, speaking, when he's freezing on the ground, shaking, Chris Evans does such a good job of physically embodying like yeah. it almost, he almost doesn't have to do much emotional acting for part of it because he's just shaking so hard and struggling so hard to get the words out that it's already so yeah. affecting to listen to. Uh, yeah. And then when I mean, we all we all found it out as time went on and we saw some more of his performances. But like, I think for me, like you know, seeing him in Human uh, as the Human Torch and Fantastic Four and maybe some other you know goofy stuff. But this was the moment I went, oh damn, this dude can act. Yeah. Like hundred percent for me too. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw this before Captain America, and I, that this was when I was like, "Oh, dang! Okay, yeah. this guy can really go. Like he's got a he's got yep. untold he's got untapped depths uh, as an yes. actor, and they, he absolutely crushes it. And his actual death scene when his hand is like his hand is basically frozen in this incredibly like distorted position. His body is shaking. His leg is actively being crushed by the coolant uh, by the computer." Uh, I'm console. I'm not really sure what it would be. Yeah. Uh, but like, uh, this that actually hit. Aside from the strength of his performance, that actually leads me to a point that I wanted to make, which is that the yeah. violent scenes in this movie hit way harder for me, yes. even than most horror movies. Like the horror yes. movies I've seen. A, I love horror. Most horror movies don't really get me. There are multiple scenes in this movie that I'm like, Ugh, like yep. genuinely uncomfortable and horrified by what is happening. Finding, finding Trey, uh, who it, and and ha after he has apparently committed suicide, mm -hmm. um, that one's tough. Um, yeah, there's just, I, I think it's a combination of the tone. I think it's a combination of the strength of the performances. I think some of it's the sound design, mm -hmm. um, just being really strong in this movie. Yeah. Um, but there is some, I don't know, like. I, I, I'm a filmmaker by trade. Like I should, I should be able to dissect this. But there is something masterful about the way that Danny Boyle ramps up to those moments. That it's it's very much the gestalt. It's it's I can't put my finger on any one reason why the violence hits so hard. Mm. But when it does, it just does. I yeah. think I think for me, it's because so much of the film feels so like light and atmospheric. Not light in terms of mm. like oh we're having a great time here, but light in terms of like. Buoyant. It's just like, oh, yeah. we're looking at beautiful sunlight, and it's so uplifting. Sure. It's like, whoa, the wonders of space. Look at the grandeur of this bomb. It's the most beautiful bomb yep. you've ever seen. These spacesuits are some of the most gorgeous spacesuits. These beautiful golden reflective spacesuits. Uh, it's yeah. so pretty and so nice. And then when you get into the in, the nitty gritty of it, it's like, ah. Uh. And, you know, when things yep. actually start to happen, it feels it feels like it breaks. It, it feels like more of a gear shift uh, and yep. almost more offensive because it's breaking that tone that's already been set up. And then that and they I think they just play it really realistically and don't play it. Uh, they don't overplay it for the most part. And I think also just 
piggybacking off of that, and I hadn't really thought about this, this until you brought that up, but there's a fragility to everything there. There's a fragility to the relationships. There's a mm-hmm. fragility to the ship, um, you know, and all these different things. And so when violence happens, it's it's not just the violence. It's the implication of you break that, like, we could all die, you know, sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, it, there's just, there's a beautiful kind of visual atmosphere um, that happens with the set design and everything um, and, and, the, and the way everything's all these reflective shields and, you know, they're, they're, I don't know. There's just a fragility that, that has to be preserved until this bomb can go off. Yeah. And that, that gets upset the minute someone starts to starts to act out. Yeah, it's delicate. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, the situation is delicate and tenuous. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree. The Yeah, I think... Uh, hats off to Danny Boyle. Yes, like I've I've been a fan of a lot of his movies. Uh, I like this one. I would. It's been a long time since I've seen Slumdog Millionaire, uh, but I've seen Steve Jobs a number of times. Really enjoy that movie. Yep. I love 127 Hours. Obviously, Train Spotting. Uh, he brings a real energy and propulsion to this movie. Yeah. Uh, the movie feels like it hits the points it needs to hit, but keeps it moving and has has energy to it, despite the fact that it's heavily influenced by. 2001 a space odyssey which though it is grand uh and certainly has tension in some moments uh i would not describe as the most propulsive film uh it's, <laughs> no. it's pretty ponderous yes uh, <laughs> pace wise yeah uh but but he like infuses this movie with a real energy yeah uh that, that kind of matches the performances like especially chris evans i yeah. feel his performance really matches with like the pace of this movie I, I do think that the that the pace of the editing and the timing of the i mean the editing is the unsung hero of this movie um, it's what makes all of it work, and it's what makes things that shouldn't work work as well as they do. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's it, you know, pinbacker shouldn't work as well as he does, and and it's debatable how well he works. But you know, any success he has is is really down to the cinematography and the editing, in my opinion. So yes, yeah. I completely agree with your earlier statement that it's smarter to keep him in shadow and shrouded. Yes, uh, the way they do. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, I believe it might be that time to look into the depths of the quantum reactor and figure out how many quarks we're going to give this movie. Yes, uh, the for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with how the quantum reactor works, it exists on a in a quantum state. Uh, we don't really know how many quarks are in there until we check, and when each of us check, we individually see a different number of quarks because we're observing from a different stand uh, point of view. Uh, so the number of quarks that we will be awarding this film uh, will, w- as well as any film, will vary uh, according to how many we're feeling at the time, how many we happen to observe. Yes. At the time. And maybe even a random element of chance. Yeah. Because I just rolled a d20 to determine my number of quirks. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to hop in. We are both big TTRPG folks here. Let's uh, let's play some, let's let's roll some dice. Okay, I just rolled my, my d20 as well. Okay, do you want to go first? Um, sure, I will jump in. I will say that I will award Sunshine. A solid eight and a half out of 11 quirks. All right. How about you? Uh... I rolled an eight, so my max number of quarks that I can give is eight um, as I look into the reactor. And while it's not a perfect film, so I'm not going to give this an eight, I am going to give it a seven out of eight. And 
I think that there's a legitimate case to be made about certain pacing or uh, not really pacing, but just like decision making things in, in the third act, bringing that down lower. But I, I got to give it up for the vibe. The vibe of this movie carries over uh, a lot of its uh, a lot of its faults. And so we're going to give this one a seven out of eight quirks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Strong recommend. This movie's fantastic. Uh, and let us know. Uh, I don't know where you're going to let us know, but if I know that uh, we're going to be talking about this most likely in the Three Black Halflings Discord and probably the First Watch Discord as well. So yes. let us know your thoughts if you have seen Sunshine. Uh, or if you watch Sunshine, I mean, you wouldn't have heard it by this point if you haven't seen the movie, hopefully. But if you have seen the movie, let us know what you thought of the movie, how many quirks you observe, and how many you would give it. Uh, and uh, what, what your favorite parts of the movie were and if the the gear shift that happens in the third act of the film works for you yeah uh with that do you want to do you want to lead us out do you want to take us out of uh take us out of this episode and back to our work here at the reactor absolutely so thank you everybody for joining us for episode one of the quantum reactor you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts as well as on youtube and follow us on our social media channels as well yes oh and we should say what these social media channels are i feel like I, uh, gotta set those we up. should <laughs> Yeah, we should. That's true. We should at least set up the individual one. Yes. <laughs> we can at least plug our individual ones. Throw up. Let uh, me see if what, what's taken on Twitter real quick. One quantum time period later. Well, that does it for episode one of the Quantum Reactor. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And like Jeremy said, let us know uh, your thoughts on Sunshine, 2007 film by Danny Boyle. Uh, you can follow us individually on uh, social media, but make sure to also follow the podcast at Q Reactor Show on the social channels, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Uh, and you can find me, Andrew Coons, uh, at Drew underscore Coons on Twitter and Jeremy, want to plug yours? Yes, you can find me at JeremyCobb1. That's Cobb with two Bs, the number one, on Twitter and Hive. I also have an Instagram. Uh, I still don't remember what it's called. Maybe by the time this is released, I will have posted an image. Uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see if I can get to 150, uh, 150 followers on Instagram, <laughs> despite having before never, you post anything. Yeah, before having posted, without having posted or actually said the name of it. Uh, so your Instagram is in the reactor. We do not know the number of posts that that's might true. exist. I will check yes. how I will check how many posts, how many quantum posts have occurred, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or how many quantum uh, quantum posts have occurred. What those quantum posts are as soon as I get to 150 follows. So <laughs> go ahead. Uh, but yeah, as as Andrew was saying, absolutely go follow us on uh, on Twitter at, at Q Reactor, reactor Show. Show. And with that, we'll see you next time on The Event Horizon.